And here we go. We are live with Congressman Darren LaHood on the phone with us this afternoon. Congressman, thanks for taking the time. We really do appreciate it. Great to talk to you. Uh, Jim, good to be with you and your listeners today. Hope you're safe and healthy. Well, doing well, thank you. And likewise to you, how are you uh, coping with being at home uh, when instead of being able to be in the midst of the action in Washington and with Congress trying to, to play more of a role in the response to all of this? Well, I was in D.C. three weeks ago when we had the stimulus bill, of course, but I've been back home like everybody else. And uh, having three teenage boys at home that are doing e-learning and and running around the house, I can't tell whether they want me gone or they want me back at work or uh, one of the two. But uh, we're coping like everybody else is, uh, but we're safe and healthy, thank God. Congressman, uh, just give us the, the, the quick overview of what Congress has done so far to address this crisis, and what more do you think still needs to be done? I think it's a fair question, Jim. It's been analogized. This is like a baseball game. It's nine innings, and we're maybe in inning four right now, I would say. We've passed three pieces of legislation thus far that I supported. Um, The first two uh, were fairly minimal in terms of cost, uh, upwards to $20, $25 billion. Of course, the CARES Act, uh, Stimulus 3, was $2.2 trillion, and that really uh, addressed – distressed businesses, small businesses. That's the direct infusion of money to individuals. Those are the checks people are receiving this week and then shoring up our hospitals. And so $2.2 trillion is the largest bill we've ever passed. Obviously, it's money that we don't have, but we're maxing out the credit card to do that. But it was needed. Uh, I analogize it's kind of like when your roof is caving in. Um, of course, you got to fix the roof to save everything inside, and that's really what we did with the CARES Act. And I've gotten tremendous feedback across our district, Jim, small business, particularly on the PPP program. Um, that's $350 billion. It's probably going to run out at the end of this week, maybe early next week. But that's your restaurants and bars. That's your landscapers. That's your plumbers. It's your uh, beauty salons and barbershops. That's money that helps individuals uh, keep people on their payroll, helps them pay rent, utilities, gets them through this eight-week period of time. If we didn't have the PPP program, uh, these businesses would go bankrupt, and small businesses are the lifeblood uh, of our economy. And so that has been uh, a program that has worked. We've got to make sure we continue to fund that moving forward. So th- those are the three pieces of bill. Obviously, the CARES Act has been the, the, the most substantial and substantive and I think is having an effect to keep people afloat and get them through this very, very difficult time. And the last thing I will just say is people, um, you know, didn't ask for this. They didn't choose this pandemic. But in, people in my district have been very compliant. They've listened to the CDC. They listened to the Illinois Department of Public Health. They listened to the guidance from the White House Task Force. And we've gotten through this. And, and hopefully we'll come out on the other end because of these actions we've taken where we can keep people employed in place and have some economic viability. Congressman, today Governor Pritzker uh, noted that Illinois is going to face a, a hit of almost $3 billion in the current fiscal year, maybe 6 to $7 billion next fiscal year in lost revenue because of all of this. He notes that the congressional aid that's already come through is for new expenses related to pandemic response, but he says the state's going to need more help from Washington just to sort of cover all of that lost revenue. Is, is that something you, you think is in the cards? Will Congress come to the rescue of Illinois and other states that are going to see their revenues uh, bottom out because of all of this? Well, I, I think we got to take things one step at a time, Jim. I, I, I analogized earlier, it's a nine-inning baseball game and we're in inning four. I think the immediate need right now is 
again, getting through this time where everybody's shelter in place, everybody's quarantined, businesses are shut down. Let's first get the economy open back up whenever that is. Uh, of course, always listening to our healthcare professionals on that. But let's do that. Is there going to be a need for municipalities and cities and states? Of course there is. But I think in the immediate, uh, the immediate need is, is uh, testing, making sure that testing is um, uh, everywhere. Uh, it is routine. I, I've, I've used uh, the example the same way you can go into a CVS or a Walgreens and get a flu test. Uh, and get that result immediately. That's what we need eventually for Corona. And so I think um, as you prioritize things, I think getting the, the, the country back on track economically, uh, supporting our health care um, uh, people on the front line, shoring up our hospitals, getting through this uh, part we're in right now, and then transitioning forward, I think there'll be a time and a place to helping out, obviously, municipalities, cities, and the state. Congressman Darren LaHood, one of the big criticisms so far of the response at the federal level has been the ongoing concerns about testing among uh, the, the issues that have been raised. How would you rate the administration's response so far? Well, I think in downstate Illinois, in my district, it's been an A. Uh, you know, when I talk to my hospitals, when I talk to the people on the front lines, uh, they have everything they need. They don't have an overabundance. But they're prepared, they're ready on their PPE, their, their ventilators. So in the district we represent downstate, now that is much different than the hot spots around the country, Jim, as we all know. Uh, Central Illinois is much different than Chicago or New York or Miami or, or Seattle. But, um, uh, you know, we, I think we have been uh, well served by the federal government being involved in helping to support and shore up our hospitals and health care providers in Central and West Central Illinois. Having said that, on the federal level, I mean, listen, nobody was prepared for this. I, I don't care which president, which party, uh, but we had to react accordingly. And I have a lot of confidence in Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks and the Surgeon General and Vice President Pence. I think their coordination uh, with the governors, uh, working with the mayors in these hotspots, has been uh, recognized as, as very, very good, very, very supportive. Uh, and I think the supply chain for the PPE is catching up. On the testing side of things, Jim, yeah, we need to get the testing a little better, again, so that people have confidence they can walk in and get a test. That technology is kept, is going to be there, hopefully sooner rather than later. But I think thus far, um, I think we've had really, really good coordination, and particularly uh, in the state of Illinois, I think the feds have given us what we've needed. But the reporting is that there were a, a period of weeks there where people in the White House were trying to warn the president about this, uh, calling for action. And a lot of that action didn't happen right away, such as ramping up the testing, such as trying to get more PPE secured earlier so we didn't have uh, that potential crisis all around the country. Uh, do you do you feel like the, the timing was appropriate? Did the president react when he should have acted? I think he did a very good job. Again, and I think uh, if, if you look at and, and listen to the responses um, from Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks, I mean, they've been on the front lines of this for, for a period of time. When we could have started earlier, I think, you know, that's uh, we, we can go back and forth and speculate when it should have started, when it didn't. Obviously, we're learning now that the World Health Organization wasn't giving us accurate information. Should we have relied on that? Um, I, I think there are areas of the country um, that, that we could have started earlier and done, done, done things maybe in a more efficient and effective way. Um, but it's hard to second-guess or play Monday morning quarterback. Obviously, when you look at what could have happened, Jim, 
um, in, in the amount of deaths we're going to have. It looks like we're going to be well below that. And in central and west central Illinois, we were all prepared for a spike. We were prepared for um, a, a disaster, and that never really came, thank God. And so I think we've learned a lot from this. Um, I, I think we'll learn in the future moving forward how to deal with this. And I think thus far the country has, um, uh, again, adapted well, we've responded well, and we have to learn from this moving forward and continue to abide by what our health professionals are telling us. Since you brought up the World Health Organization, let me ask you about that. The president halting U.S. funding to the WHO, and there's been a lot of criticism for that, that that's the wrong move in the middle of a pandemic response. What is your reaction to cutting that funding? Well, I would first of all say, and I, um, I've i not seen any proof to refute this, but it, it appears they, they lied to us. I, they were not truthful with the information going back to December and January and February, as I've looked at what the World Health Organization was telling the U.S. and others, it was not accurate information. And if we would had had the accurate information as it related to China specifically and to Wuhan uh, and what was really happening there would have been much different. And so somebody has to be held accountable for that, Jim. Am I in favor of withdrawing from uh, a, a health organization that helps um, uh, in, a, in a positive way around the world? Of course not, but I am supportive of holding organizations that we give a lot of money to accountable, finding out what went wrong, how did it go wrong, and respond accordingly. So I I, I think there needs to be um, people held accountable for that. And once we, uh, you know, once we have that uh, that information and those answers, I think we can go back to. Uh, considering being a part of it. But President Trump himself praised China for their transparency and for their response to all of this back in January, said they were doing a great job, and the president's got the entire global intelligence apparatus at his fingertips. So uh, should the president be held accountable like the WHO? Well, listen, I I think those comments that the president made about China, he's going to have to answer those for himself. But, yes, I'm well aware that he thought uh, China was being transparent. He thought China was giving the right information. Clearly, uh, that was not accurate, and, and I think he'll take appropriate action. Uh, let me ask you about a couple other things coming out of this. One is for gig economy workers, Uber drivers, things like that. Uh, and we know that under the, the CARES Act, they're supposed to be getting unemployment benefits, but it looks like the U.S. Department of Labor has written the rules on this in such a way that a lot of them may still not be eligible, uh, that their, their, uh, participation would have to be, quote, suspended so that if they are still able to get on their app and a- able to occasionally, uh, you know, pick up a, a ride here and there, they wouldn't be eligible for that. Do we need to to change that? Was that Congress's intent as it relates to those gig economy workers? Well, I would just say this. I I am aware of the issue. I know it's being looked at by Treasury and the SBA. Um, Listen, we're going to have another stimulus bill. There's there's a chance to revise that language and change that language. I know that's under review uh, to do that. But if, if people are directly affected by the coronavirus and are out of work and are unemployed, they ought to be eligible for the same money that the landscaper or the barber or the, uh, you know, the, 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 you know, the whatever you're, you're doing, whether you're uh, uh, a restaurant, uh, a waiter or a bartender or in a restaurant, a bar, 
you, you ought to be able to get the same type of money or have access or the ability to get that as others. There's a lot of talk, too, about the status of the Postal Service, that it is in a dire straits because of the, the lost revenue that it's facing uh, with all the other uh, economic downturn that's happening out there. Is the U.S. Postal Service in jeopardy, and will Congress intervene to keep it afloat? Well, the post, U.S. Postal Service has had issues for a long time in terms of the, the fiscal soundness of, of their, their budgets, and there's a lot of reasons for that. However, I will tell you this, in a district like mine, which is very rural uh, in some parts, uh, the Postal Service has been vital to getting information, uh, and, and they've been on the front lines, uh, the postal workers uh, that have been delivering the mail, and we need to recognize that, acknowledge that, uh, that they have been getting information and medicine in a lot of cases to our rural folks. That's been the only connection that most people have had over this period of time. And so as we think about um, further stimulus bills and further funding, I think you gotta uh, you got to look at the Postal Service and those workers that have been on the front lines. Reporting in the last day or so that the stimulus checks that are going out uh, were being, uh, if not delayed, at least modified so that President Trump's name would appear on them. Is that appropriate? First of all, I'm not aware of that. I haven't, I haven't seen that reporting, Jim. I, listen, the vast majority of people that I've talked to in, the, in my district with the 710,000 people I represent, the people that are eligible, I've, they're getting it in their bank accounts electronically. So um, I, the va- I don't know the numbers on this, Jim, but remember, the vast majority of people getting checks are getting it done electronically. So there's no, it doesn't matter whose signature's on there. They're not seeing any signature uh, from President Trump. Those are the only ones that are being mailed, which is, my understanding, a small percentage. But even if it's only a few hundred thousand, is it appropriate to, to use that to, to tout the president's name in an election year? Well, I, the, the premise of your question is that that's why it was delayed. I have not seen that, uh, Jim, so I'd have to look at that. I, I, it would seem to me it would be easy to put a signature on there, so I'm not sure it would be delayed because there was there was no statutory uh, reason that his signature couldn't be on there. I think when George Bush but it's, did but it's this never been done. Career, Apparently it's never been done before. We've never had the president's name on these checks when they go out. We've had other stimulus checks. They've never put the president's name on it. And again, it's an election year. Is that an appropriate use of, of that federal mechanism? Well, I will just say this. Um, I know when uh, there were tax rebates given, it wasn't stimulus that George Bush did as part of a bill that was passed. I know his name was on those checks that went directly to people, and it was controversial then. So, I mean, listen, he is the president. He is the one that signed this into law. He is the one that supported it. So I, I, I don't find much fault with that when, when I'm going to say 90% of the people that are getting these checks don't even see his signature because it's going electronically into bank accounts. Congressman Darren LaHood, appreciate your time. Thank you so much. We'll talk soon. Be well, Jim. Thank you.